why does humility matter? Well, to answer that question today on the God's Story podcast, I'm joined by John Norsworthy, who's just published a book with Castle Books in New Zealand called Why Humility Matters, the Radical Idea of the Practice of Humility. John has taught in secondary and primary schools and in the tertiary sector, Bible colleges and teach education for over 45 years and is a board member for Thinking Matters New Zealand. He served on curriculum committees and professional development in both the state and Christian sectors and served as secretary to the New Zealand Association for Christian Schools for some 20 years. He's currently an adjunct lecturer at Faith Bible College New Zealand and is the author of a number of books, including this one, Why Humility Matters, and John joins me today. John, hi. Hi. That's Good an to be with you, Brent. Thank you. That's an immense amount of teaching experience. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, I can be proud about that if you like. But uh, no, the, no, the subject's about humility. We should uh, uh, not go there. No. Why is humility such a radical idea these days, John? I think it always has been a radical idea. Um, history is, uh, if we look through history and look through cultures right across the world, Humility has actually been um, not the main focus of people's lives, okay? Um, and uh, uh, I think uh, we need to understand what we mean by humility before we start talking about what it is. Um, the word humble or humbled or humility are used for a variety of attitudes, circumstances and actions. And uh, I think of the English word uh, humility uh, is connected to the to the word humus. All right, it's all about being low or being put low, um, and uh, and so humility is used in in various ways. For example, it's used as uh, a person who believes that they have a low uh, self esteem, feeling of shame. That's uh, one way in which humility is used. Then there is humility is used as humiliation an imposed, inflicted shame, which uh, is very common uh, uh, right through the world in history and, and uh, uh, across different cultures. Then there is the idea of humility as self-abasement, okay, often attempting to, to overcome a low self-esteem that you have. And, but the humility that I talk about in my book and uh, that the, is the topic here is what I call practiced humility, the practice of humility. And this often stems from an accurate self-esteem, uh, knowing who you are and, and uh, wanting to, to uh, not boost yourself, but rather uh, aimed at other people and, and caring for other people and loving other people and sacrificing and and. Uh, uh, for for other people, that's the the virtuous humility that uh, that uh, I would talk about. Well, uh, your question was why is it important, or or why um, people don't um, uh, follow that humility often? Uh, it's interesting. I think that uh, this sort of humility, which uh, involves sacrificial love, serving others without it, reciprocal reward in mind gracious added towards others, which is seen through words and action, a vulnerability, risking being humiliated or suffering at the hands of others, uh, foregoing one's rights for the sake of 
of the well-being of others does not come naturally to people. We are self-centered uh, people in many in many ways, uh, and and so um, it's not something that uh, you find pervading through through all of society. It, it's 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 just not there. <laughs> yes, is the practice of humility distinctively Christian? I like to say. Yes, it is distinctively Christian, but not exclusively Christian, okay? We can see the practice of humility elsewhere. And, of course, whenever we do observe the practice of humility, we uh, are not aware of the attitudes behind that, that practice. So uh, we cannot say that uh, oh, that person's humility is not real humility because we, we, we need to understand or know the the heart attitude behind it as well. But particularly, uh, it is particularly Christian, yes. And uh, as you walk through the pages of the Bible, you see how that the whole idea of humility uh, becomes greater and greater until you get right through to, to the life of Christ and, and the practical outworking of our faith in him. Was humility valued at all in the ancient world? I'm thinking of the world of Greece and Rome. Yeah. As in many cultures, both past and present, Greco-Roman society was dominated in many ways by an honour and shame mentality. Uh, social kindness, justice, personal pleasure, prosperity and knowledge were valued, but the most desired outcome of life's endeavours was honour. Uh, and so... Seeking honour is the opposite to, to humility. So it was not. The, the dominant objective in, uh, in life, whether it be political or military or domestic, was to achieve honour through success. Um, and uh, the goal of military conquest was to receive accolades of victory parades on returning home. Political leaders often developed a lust for fame and power, uh, and and uh, this was obviously the opposite to to humility. <laughs> that all sounds very modern. It is. That's right. It's not just uh, uh, in the ancient world. Right through most of life has been like that. Um, you think of modern political leaders. They're not much different in attitude to those of, of the ancient world the, where there were typically gang leaders who became successful over not only their own gang but others, and so they became the monarch or the king. And uh, that, was, that was the typical way of leadership. Uh, political leadership was uh, this dominance and uh, not humility that we are talking about. The Greeks did have this idea of hubris, though, didn't they? How did, how did that relate to humility, or didn't it? Hubris. Mm -hmm. I think there was the idea of, of uh, humility for the sake of gaining honour. Uh, humility to, to become uh, a leader, to become somebody who's, who's, who's honoured and respected, uh, rather than humility because you are the leader. And uh, um, I don't know whether that answers your question about yeah, I think it does, yeah. So what's the value? We'll come on to talk about all the biblical uh, texts and, and uh, biblical themes dealing with humility in a minute. But if I can just ask you, what's the value of humility f 
for leadership, particularly in politics and government? Good question to ask. We need to to look at it this way. Uh, As I've just said, humility is not a means to gain leadership, but rather the core attitude and practice of leadership. All right? An arrogant, controlling leader generates disloyalty and divisiveness. Throughout history and globally, this has been the norm. Servant leadership has been the exception. So, but uh, if you really want to be a successful leader, I suggest you stop trying to be a successful leader and just uh, seek to serve faithfully. And as you begin to do that, then your leadership begins is characterised by not command and control, but inspiration, service and facilitation. And uh, in that way, a humble leader commands respect and gains the loyalty of the team. It takes humility to withhold unnecessary control. Humility is a vital component in the character of a respected and inspiring leader. Why is the best form of defence often humility? A soft word, as the proverb says, uh, turns away anger. And uh, uh, whereas uh, a harsh word just provokes a reaction against uh, the person against you. Simple as that. Yeah, I guess it's good advice for someone working in the workplace who's confronted by an angry or, or difficult employer or colleague. Yes, that's right. Um, that I've, I mentioned that in my book, in, in the latter part of my book, the idea of a, a person who uh, uh, finds themselves being uh, oppressed by, by their their employer. Uh, the way to to face that is with humility and to to determine I'm going to achieve uh, or attempt to achieve the goals of my employer. Uh, rather than react against uh, his wrong attitude. But at the same time, you need to humbly address the issue and, and, and speak to your employer about how you feel and, and uh, um, so that the employer can get the idea that this person really does want to, to help and serve. Uh, I, I need to change my attitude. Yes, yeah, so humility doesn't mean being a doormat in the workplace then. Absolutely not. In fact, humility can, in fact, be um, alongside of an anger, a righteous anger, as they sometimes talk about it, where you have to stand up for the injustice experienced by somebody else. I have a story of a a friend of mine who uh, was uh, uh, in a leadership position, uh, a sub-leadership position in the organisation which he worked, and there was a woman in, in her organisation that were, really was being dis, uh, treated in, an, in a, a, a wrong manner. And so he decided that the best thing for him to do was to, to humbly, but angrily, as it were, strongly approach the leadership and, and, and tell her story so that... Uh, um, there could be a change in, in, in her experience. In fact, he managed to get a pay rise for her in it all. <laughs> yeah, that's a great result, isn't it? Mm. Yes. So let's come on to scripture and some of the scriptural evidence for this. In what ways does the Jewish world of the Old Testament value humility? Very interesting because uh, the story of the Bible introduces the God factor, of course. God is at the centre of 
of the whole of the progressive revelation of himself in the Old Testament. So we find right at the beginning, humility gets mentioned when it's related to someone being confronted by God. All right. Uh, we see uh, in Job, which is probably the oldest of all the books, uh, we find Job who thought he was righteous, who thought he was good, who thought he was great, uh, but was suffering. Uh, and uh, eventually he gets to listen to what God has to say. And God harangues him for three or four chapters and saying, who do you think you are? Um, and talks about him. God talks about himself in relationship to who he is. Um, and so God reminds Job of his mind-blowing power, his supreme greatness, and Job's comparative complete insignificance. And Job needed to humbly repent of his presumption that he should know everything. And so we see right there in the earliest of the, of the books of the Old Testament, we see uh, this whole idea of humility is being um, addressed. All right, then we come to, of course, Moses, who uh, there was an issue in the, in the life of Moses where Miriam and Aaron, uh, family members, had an issue with him. They thought it was not right that God seemed to speak only through Moses. Uh, and uh, then it goes on and says in, in Numbers, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. The Lord goes on to explain to Aaron and Miriam that he reveals himself to a prophet through visions and dreams, but with Moses, he speaks face to face, clearly not in riddles. Moses was different in that he had personally met God, and that was the cause of his humility. And so we see as we go through through um, the Old Testament, oh, by the way, um, the, the book, the writer to Hebrews mentions Moses and he says the same sort of thing. He perceived, uh, persevered because he saw him who was invisible uh, and Moses' humility was a result of that. Personal confrontation with God engenders and builds humility. And, and so as the story goes through the Old Testament, we see other great um, men of God. David is a classic example. Now, David was a typical king. Uh, he had no compunction about the way in which he treated his enemies. We could hardly call it humility. But there, were, there was occasions when, when uh, David was faced with uh, with God or with a representative of God. And uh, uh, Nathan, for example, the prophet, confronted uh, David. And, uh, and, and David, in his relationship to God, says, I have sinned against you, O God. Like all of us, he was imperfect in his humility, but he re did respond humbly when confronted by God. So knowing who God is and who we are in relationship to him is being humbled before God. And, and that is a, a key thing that, that goes right through um, the Old Testament. But then we get to the latter prophets and we find uh, the latter prophets are talking about a Messiah who is to come. And there are some strange things there because this Messiah who is to come, you would think would be some heroic leader and yet it talks about strange things like him being a humble servant, about him riding on a donkey instead of a white horse and, and things like that. 
And so we, we, we get clearly the message that humility has got something to do with the salvation of Israel. And uh, that is uh, where, where uh, the Old Testament leads us to, uh, to Christ. Yes, how did the Lord Jesus really embody and demonstrate humility? All right, the story of Christ begins with the incomprehensible act of humility, the incarnation, God choosing to come to earth in human flesh. When you consider the utter humility of God doing this, all right, that he who created everything, who is the majestic Lord of everything, and uh, uh, including us humans, who have rejected him, then he chooses to become a humble human being to, to convey and to, to fulfil his uh, work of salvation. Amazing to think about that. So firstly, we have in the story of Christ his incarnation. And then we move on uh, into his ministry life. And uh, uh, we see he taught and he also practised humility. The centrepiece of uh, Matthew's story of Jesus' teaching, of course, is the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins with the, the um, Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted. Each of these when you look at it, are so countercultural to to what they would be expecting to be blessed, blessed and happy about. Okay, the poor in spirit is are those who honestly recognise they're utterly destitute in relation to God. Those who mourn are those who sorrowfully regret their sin and thus are led to repent. And so we go on. The meek, of course, are those who who have strength but withhold that strength so that they can can uh, bless other people and so we could we could go on looking at uh, the beatitudes humility is not actually mentioned as a word there but the whole of the, the beatitudes and then the ongoing sermon on the mount is is riddled with this concept of humility through it um, and of course then jesus practiced humility as as we uh, uh, read on the story of christ we see occasions when he he related to the humiliated to the to the sinners to the women to the foreigners all of which were considered to be people that you would not normally relate to because that would bring shame rather than honor upon you and so jesus uh, does that as well and so we could go on looking at uh, many of the stories in the in the uh, in the gospels of jesus but, of course, ultimately, we come to his death on the cross. What a humiliating thing to be subjected to. And yet, as we read in the Gospels, he set himself to go to do this. He deliberately chose to be humiliated in the most humiliating way that the, the Roman culture had to 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 deal with people. And so uh, the death of Christ is, is the ultimate humiliation uh, that he did. Uh, when you think about it, who he is, who Christ is, that he should choose to do that. And why did he do that? 
not for his own self-aggrandizement, but rather for us. He did it because he wanted us to enter into a bit greater and better life, the life that was originally planned for us. So uh, clearly humility is at the centre of the, the gospel message. And how does the Apostle Paul deal with humility in, in his letters? Just give, maybe give us a few examples. All right. When we uh, read the Apostle's letters, uh, many of them begin with a teaching part where he teaches about who Christ is or what Christ has done. He teaches about our salvation. He teaches about us being justified. And then he goes on into practical instructions. For example, we have uh, in Romans chapter 12, he begins his practical instructions. And he begins with the word, therefore, in the light of the previous teaching uh, of our righteousness in Christ, our walk in the spirit, uh, this is how we are to live. Verse 1, offer your lives sacrificially. This is deliberately humbling ourselves before God and humbly doing everything we do for God. Then verse 2, renew your attitude of mind. This is humbly uh, a humility of thinking. The teachability that, that enables us to unlearn the attitudes and thoughts that we had uh, absorbed from the world and to repent and, and learn the, the thought patterns of Christ. Then thirdly, um, verse 3, don't think too highly of yourselves. This is humble self-examination to accurately discern our God-given personal strengths, which God has given us so that we can serve. And then it goes on in the rest of chapter 12 and 13 and 14 with practical instructions, which when you look at it, they're all about humble, sacrificial love. Um, and uh, so... Romans is a classic example of that. Galatians, similarly, is the same sort of thing. Humility is not the core attitude and action that we have to become saved, but rather it is an outworking of our salvation. It is an other-centred, not a self-centred uh, approach to life. Yes. How, how does Ephesians, because I'm fascinated by when you talk about Ephesians in your book, how does Ephesians teach that we, do, we don't need to strive for status, that, that our position of honour yes. is achieved by the sacrifice of Christ? Yeah. Yes, that, that, that is a, a brilliant example of the first three chapters of Ephesians talks about our position in Christ, who we are in Christ, how we've been seated in heavenly places, how we have been together brought, brought into this wonderful relationship where we've had bestowed blessings upon us. Uh, Ephesians talks about right at the beginning, it, it uses the word eulogia, which means that we have been highly spoken of. We have honour rather than shame, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is and what he has done. And, and so we uh, enter into the Christian life with that confidence, that, that high self-esteem that God has spoken to us. And then he goes on in Ephesians to, to speak about uh, how we, therefore, the word comes up again, how we practically live it out. And uh, let's see 
what does he say in there? He says, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2. And he goes on uh, saying things along that line. Be kind and compassionate. Live a life of love. Be careful. And then he gets into practical examples in, in relationships, husbands and wives and, and so on. And he introduces that practical part by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so he writes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands as to the Lord, and husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. When you think about that, that's at utter humility. And so behind many of these instructions is not a legalistic uh, instruction of this is the way in which society should be ordered, but rather it is saying be humble and other-centred, sacrificially love as you work out your life in Christ. Yes, I love when Paul talks about being, I think he uses the word gracious as well. The translation is gracious, gracious, gentleness, graciousness, gentleness, humility. Yes. Uh, words we don't often hear used at all these days. We've only, right. got a few minutes, we've only got a few minutes left, John, but I'd love to yes. ask you, how, how do we best practice humility then in Christian community and in our workplaces and in government and our lives? I think the, the, the first thing is to recognise what we've just been talking about, that we do not practice it to achieve salvation. We do not practice it to, to, to better ourselves. Rather, it is a part of sacrificial love for others. And so um, if we have that at the basis of uh, the way in which we live, we can practice it in uh, all sorts of practical ways. And of course, uh, uh, James talks about those practical ways uh, again and again. And uh, um, I think we should uh, um, uh, read the book of James to, to work out how to do it. Practical faith is having the humility to ask God for wisdom. Practical faith is seen when, we, when the socially humiliated rejoice in their dignity in Christ. Uh, so we care for those who are, who are lower in, in society. We, we live it out in that way. True religion is practically humbly caring for orphans and widows, for example. This is uh, what uh, James says. Out of the wisdom, meekness, rather than the wisdom of the world, we live. All right, and that uh, the world is characterized by envying, selfish ambition, and strife, but we live the opposite. We are happy to be humiliated if it's necessary for the good of others. We're happy to suffer if it's necessary. We're happy to put ourselves in a place of vulnerability. Um, sometimes that can happen in a work situation. We talked about uh, uh, the work situation before, where sometimes it is important if, if somebody whom we are working for, who's working for us uh, does something wrong, uh, we can uh, wear the blame, say, that was in my watch, I should have been... Uh, uh, should have uh, done better than that. So we, there are many practical ways. We can care for the neighbour who is not exactly the person we, we want to relate to a lot, but we, we can, can care for them and, and, uh, and be prepared to be vulnerable in our relationship with somebody uh, who, who needs the love of God. 
on Mosby. Thank you very much. Uh, John has just published a book with Castle Books in New Zealand called Why Humility Matters, the radical idea of the practice of humility. John, thank you so much for your time. It's a wonderful subject. Thank you. Oh, it's been great chatting with you, Brent. Thank you. you. Thank you so much. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.